please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Daniel 8, 15 through 27 today. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but not by human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that have been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. It's been the reading of God, Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Brian Weiler. I am a member here at DOXA. Um, it is great to be with you on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day um, to everyone here. All the guys, happy Mother's Day. I say that to my brothers every year. Um, so I'm not sure if there's any other church this morning going through Daniel chapter 8 on Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Um, it is, I, I believe that it's not necessarily the prototype Mother's Day passage you would typically find, but I believe there's a lot in here for us today that we can walk away with. Uh, Timothy says, all scripture is profitable, and I believe that to be true. Um, so we'll dive right in. Um, we've been going through the book of Daniel as a church for a few weeks, and it's all about how the people of God can remain faithful in the midst of a pagan and hostile culture. It's a book um, that is really relevant for us today. And before we dive in any further, I'm going to pray. Um, God, we thank you so much for just this gift of this day. I thank you that, Lord, you brought us here that we, um, as your children, have the ability to see truth and to see you. And I pray that your word would bring life this morning. I pray that your word would go forth and would draw us into a deeper understanding of who you are. 
God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would give us the ability to comprehend uh, this passage. Lord, we thank you that your word is true and that it's reliable and that we can have confidence in your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So how do, how do we as Christians live pure and keep God's word in our heart in the midst of a culture that celebrates depravity and immorality? I mean, it's all around us. It's in the movies. It's in the um, television shows. It's all over the news feed and social media. So how do we remain faithful to God and his word when our faith as Christians is criticized, condemned, and viewed as intolerant to a world that says anything should go? If it feels good, just do it. The book of Daniel not only gives us tools and insight into how we live rightly, but it highlights the reality of God's kingdom, his eternal kingdom. All throughout this book that we've been going through, we see empires rise and fall. We see God's plan and his purpose cannot be stopped. The world's kingdoms believe that more power and more control will in some way provide the security and the gratification that they need. And it ends up being kind of a hamster wheel of disappointment for everyone. I used to love playing the game as a kid, uh, King of the Mountain. I don't know if you guys ever played that, where you find a hill, you run to the top, and a bunch of kids are with you, and you just, it's survival, right? You just see how long you can stay on the top of the mountain. And if anybody tries to come up and challenge you, you literally throw them off, push them, and it's a pretty violent game. I mean, I honestly wouldn't mind playing it these days if anyone's up for it. <laughs> the King of the Mountain mentality, it, this, this drive to get to the top, it is alive in our world, and you see it every day, especially with our politics and our world leaders. I mean, one side gets power, doesn't matter who, right? One side gets power. They will say and do anything to stay in power. It is repulsive to watch. Power, control, influence is something that we all as human beings struggle with. You know, we're not content with the amount we have, and we kind of desire a little bit more. The flesh always wants a little bit more. And the book of Daniel we've been going through teaches us that no amount of power is random. God is the one who gives authority, and he is the one who positions people. I mean, according to Daniel, God is the one who sets up kings and removes them. That's Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, personally, he knew this. He experienced this firsthand. He watched Israel get overrun by, by the Babylonians. He witnessed Nebuchadnezzar burn down the Jewish temple. He himself was taken into captive as a slavery and put in exile with others. Many Israelites were killed. And Daniel was positioned in a pagan culture to serve a pagan king. Daniel was a man who had every reason to doubt God. And he had every reason to fear the world's kingdoms. And yet, here we see a man through this book that has remained faithful to God and his eternal kingdom. In the midst of suffering and persecution, Daniel's ultimate concern was for, was for his Hebrew people and their future, and the promises that God made to them. He knows, Daniel knows the word of God, and he knows that God will exalt Israel, and all of the people of the earth will be blessed through them. That's Genesis chapter 12. Daniel knew this. Daniel is in exile, and he understands this. He has confidence that God will do what he says and he will fulfill his promise to his people. And God illuminates part of his plan to Daniel through dreams and visions. Daniel gets a front row seat to see some of the events that stand between Israel's captivity and ultimately God's promise to them. And he sees it and it's not all pretty. And the road ahead for Israel is not a smooth road. 
Daniel learned this at a very young age when he was in Babylon. He learned this when he interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He saw a great statue that represented all these kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greek, and the Roman Empire, and Daniel saw that this statue was crushed and smashed to dust by a stone, the stone that was not cut from human hands. Daniel knew all of these empires would one day fall, and he knew in his heart that God's kingdom could not be stopped, and nothing was going to stop it from coming. And Daniel told this to King Nebuchadnezzar, that God would one day set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And Daniel learned early on that it was God who sets up kings and positions people in power. All authority and all power has one source, and Daniel knows this. And this is really, really important to grasp for all of us because this thread of truth is threaded throughout the entire book of Daniel. And, and historically, we see this coming true through Daniel's prophecies. The passage that we're going to look at today is Daniel chapter 8, and we see in this passage the king, that king of the mountain mentality. In this chapter, we see empires rise and fall. We see rulers given power and power taken away, and we see God's hand over it all. In Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, we see these four kingdoms that we've talked about, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greek, and the Roman Empire, all show up in those texts. But here in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel kind of zooms in on one of the kingdoms kind of in particular. He zooms in on the Greek Empire. And the reason is that there will be a ruler that arises from this Greek Empire that is a prototype or a model of the Antichrist that's talked about in the book of 2 Thessalonians and the book of Revelation. In Daniel's vision, what he sees here in chapter 8, it disturbs him. So much so that he becomes physically sick. Verse 27 tells us, this is Daniel chapter 8, verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. Daniel was appalled by what he saw, and today we're going to look at why. And for time's sake, because this is a, a big chapter, we're going to focus on kind of the second part, the interpretation. So I would challenge you guys, if you have uh, this week, to pick up, study Daniel chapter 8. It has been really encouraging to me personally. Um, I've, I, just from my time in, in the Word this week, I've just grown, my, my confidence in God's Word has been strengthened as a result of my time in, in the Word. We see in Daniel chapter 8 what God says He does. Daniel chapter 8 is evidence of this. Historically, the events described in this chapter, they happen in the exact manner Daniel describes them and sees them. Daniel's vision spans from the time he had this vision, spans 350 years into the future, oh, plus, and he sees these things happening and all of it comes true. We can have confidence in the, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and it's not simply blind faith. We have solid evidence the supernatural origin of fulfilled prophecy is one of the main aspects of this evidence. So let's jump into this vision and look at what Daniel sees. The vision starts off with Daniel seeing a ram and a goat battle it out, and the goat ends up on top. The ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire, and the, and the goat represents the Greek Empire. Daniel sees two world powers colliding, and one of them ends up on top. Daniel's not sure what to think about all this or how to process it, and by God's grace, the angel Gabriel is sent to help him in, in, to interpret this dream or this, this vision for him and to tell him what it all means. So we don't have to guess or speculate what all of this means. We learn in verse 20 that the ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire, 
And we learn in verse 21 that the goat represents the Greek empire and the first horn on that, that, uh, that goat represented the first king of Greece. Well, who was the first king of Greece? It was Alexander the Great. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with history at all, you know the role that Alexander the Great had in conquering the known world at that time. So what does this all mean? It means that the real goat is not Tom Brady, according to Daniel. It is Alexander the Great. <laughs> it is just true. <laughs> so in this vision, Daniel sees the rise of Alexander the Great, but he also sees his fall. So verse 8, Daniel chapter 8, verse 8 says this, Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And, and instead, of, instead of it, there grew up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. The great horn, representing Alexander the Great, he was broken. Alexander the Great died when he was 33 years of age. In the height of his power, in his prime, his life ended. I mean, one of the most amazing aspects of the Bible is the reality of fulfilled prophecy. The Bible is not so sim simply a book. It's the inspired Word of God. And chapter 8 is evidence, just one small example of this evidence. In this vision, the great horn was broken off, and four more horns grew up in its place. And this is what Daniel's seeing. And this is exactly what happened. When Alexander the Great died, his four generals took over his kingdom, and each one was given a different part of the Greek empire. The four horns represented this, the new rulers of this kind of divided Greek empire. And it's right here at this point in the vision where it kind of takes sort of a turn, and Daniel zooms in further, and the vision begins to focus on one of the, the dynasties in particular. Of the four new Greek dynasties, one would produce a ruler described as the little horn. And this ruler would, be, would come from the Seleucid dynasty of the Greek empire. What Daniel sees in Israel's future, it disturbs him. Because he sees a demonically empowered reign of a ruler known as the little horn. The general or the ruler described here in this passage is Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV. He was the, the eighth king in the Seleucid dynasty. Antiochus, he ascended to power in 175 BC, and he would be the one who ruled over the nation of Israel. He, the Jewish people and the promised land fell under his territory. The word epiphanies was a title that he gave to himself. It means glorious or God manifest, and it was associated with a deity. So Antiochus viewed himself as God, and he would introduce himself as one. I mean, this detail alone just kind of gives you insight into the kind of man he was. Daniel's vision sees this little horn as deceitful, arrogant, and power-hungry. Antiochus Epiphanes was an accurate fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Antiochus was a man who waged war against God and his people. He was a perfect picture of what evil looks like when it is not restrained. Listen to what Daniel sees. Daniel chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 9. 
Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew, it grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of hosts, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Daniel sees a man who elevates himself above God. He sees a man who had no tolerance for the Jewish people or for human life. He sees a man who did everything he could to keep people away from God. He sees a man who throws truth to the ground. He sees a man who is pure evil. In 168 BC, Antiochus attacked Jerusalem on a Sabbath. He attacked them when he knew they would be defenseless, and it's estimated that he killed over 80,000 Jews in as little as three days. Antiochus was one of the greatest persecutors of the Israelite people and their way of life. His goal was to Hellenize them, and he wanted them to worship the Greek way of life. Antiochus, he made it illegal for the Jews to worship their God, and anyone who did Right, was killed in public for all to see. And the, and, uh, the history book Maccabees kind of gives insight into how bad it really was. Antiochus, he burned the Old Testament scrolls. I mean, what Daniel sees in this vision happened. Truth was thrown to the ground. Antiochus, he didn't simply stop with persecuting God's chosen people, though. He went even further. He intentionally destroyed the temple and made a mockery of God Antiochus, he defiled the inner sanctuary by erecting, he put an altar of Zeus in the middle of it. He sacrificed a pig and spilled pig blood and pig juices everywhere. It was desecrated. It was an abomination. And it was known, it's known as the abomination of desolation. It was so bad that the Hebrew people could no longer worship their God in the temple or sacrifice because of how unclean and defiled it was. Antiochus intentionally spit in the face of God. And this brings me to my first point. Evil is real, and it's deceptive in nature. Evil is real. The Apostle Paul, he says it this way. Ephesians 6, verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the devil, schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Docs of Church, hear these words of Paul. There is a real spiritual battle taking place around us. The atrocities that we see all over the news and the temptation that you and I face on a daily basis, behind it all, there is a darkness. Forces of evil trying to rise up against God and his plan. Evil is deceptive in nature. It hides. And it's why Paul is saying here that the battle is not physical. It's not flesh and blood. The battle's spiritual. The reason we have mass shootings, murders, adultery, human trafficking is not because we have bad government policies. It's because evil is real and it's working behind the scenes. Evil isn't always blatant. and always, It's not always in our face, though. When Peter accused Ananias of lying about his wealth and his profits, listen to what Peter said to Ananias. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Peter could recognize in this moment the enemy at work. Can you? 
Do you see how Satan deceives and tries to manipulate, manipulate you and the people around you? 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be alert, be sober-minded. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are reminded that Satan does not take a day off. He is constantly looking for ways to infiltrate and disrupt what God is doing in and through us. Evil is real. It's at work behind the scenes. And you know what? It's at work in us. It's inside of us. It's often easy to spot the evil that's outside of us. It's a lot harder to spot the evil that's within us. Listen to what Jesus said about you and me in Mark chapter 7. Verse starting in verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a man is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, uh, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. Jesus is shining a flashlight on the deceptive nature of sin and evil. It's not something that's outside of us. It's something inside of us. It's why there is a wall between us and God. It's what separates us from God. A great quote that I heard this week from a pastor in New York, Tim Keller, he said it this way. If God wiped out all sources of evil in the, war, in the world, we would no longer be here. The evil is inside of us. And this is why every single human being stands condemned and we are born into this world with a rebellion, rebellious heart. And every single person deserves the judgment and the wrath of God. And this is why Jesus died and he, why he came. It's what he came to save us from. He came to save us from the wrath of God and to free us from the power of sin and death. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says it this way. For our sake, talking about Christ, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took upon himself our evil, and by doing so, he received the wrath of God that you and I deserve. One of the greatest gifts of salvation, and when you're born again, one of the greatest gifts of salvation is that it gives you the ability to see what evil, right? It gives us the eyes to see what sin is. In Christ, we have been made righteous, and as a result, we now have the ability to see what is unrighteous. It is a gift. In Romans 6, 12 through 14, it beautifully puts us into picture. Verse 12 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make it obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are no longer under the law, but you're under grace. The dominion of sin and its power has no claim on us any longer. We've been freed from its grip and the reason that you and I still struggle as Christians, it's not because we're terrible, it's because our flesh is still alive and it's waging war against our spirit. This text in Colossians, Colossians 3, 5, says it beautifully. It says, put 
to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Colossians is saying here that we, we need, as Christians, we need to uh, be proactive in the battle against the flesh. We need to put on the full armor of God, like Ephesians says. We need to pick up the truth and not cast it to the ground like Antiochus did. You and I are not that special. We're not. The Bible reminds us just how weak we are. We need God and his word every single day. Who are we to think otherwise? Evil is real. It's at work around us. And if we're not careful, it will be at work in us. The vision Daniel sees in chapter 8 is what unfiltered evil looks like. Daniel sees a man rise up against God and his people, and it disturbs him. Gabriel tells Daniel in verse 19 that this vision concerns the time of the end and tells him to seal up this vision because for the future. Antiochus Epiphanes is a foreshadow of what is to come. Antiochus is a prototype or a model of what the Antichrist will be like. This little horn in Daniel chapter 8 is a replica of a man who has yet to come, who will embody, this man who is to come will embody these same very characteristics. In Matthew uh, chapter 24, Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation that's spoken about in Daniel. And, and this passage in Matthew reminds us that another abomination like it is coming. Daniel chapter 8 is like a precursor so we, we can connect it to. So why is this all important for us to know? So we are not deceived. And this is why we as parents, we need to impress this truth upon our children so that their children's children are not deceived. The man of lawlessness spoken about in 2 Thessalonians will one day come and will do greater harm to the people of God than Antiochus did. A man is coming who will rise up against God and his people. And this leads me to my next point. Evil is on a leash. All power that evil possesses is borrowed. We often sometimes think that there's a tug-of-war match between good and evil. There is not. There is no contest. Evil and darkness is totally outmatched by the power of God. One of my favorite things to do with my kids is just wrestle with them. I have three kids, and it is one of our favorite things. They'll just get on the ground, and they just we, they come at me. I mean, we, I body slam, I throw them down, and I mean, somehow, they, in their little minds, they still think they have a chance. They have no chance. They don't. And it is, it's, it's fun. I love it. But one day, they will be bigger, maybe bigger than I am, and if I wrestle them 15 years from now, the outcome may not be the same, well, I, but I hope it is. <laughs> Listen, evil does not grow stronger over time. God is not one day going to be outdone or overmatched by evil. The little horn that's talked about here in Daniel chapter 8, as great as he thought he was, his power and all of his might is nothing in the end. All power and all authority has one source. Verse 25, Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, gives us insight into what happens when evil and God collide. Verse 25 says, by his cunning, let's talk about the little horn, by his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. 
And in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken. But by no human hand. Verse 25 tells us that the little horn rose up against the prince of princes. Well, do you know who the prince is? It's Jesus. The little horn arrogantly collided with God, and he was broken. And history tells us that Antiochus died a horrible death. He was struck with a sudden illness, a very painful illness, and he didn't die by human hands. What Daniel saw happened. Evil is real, but as Christ followers, we know evil is outmatched. And even when it looks like the enemy has the upper hand, and sometimes it really does, God uses it for good and to carry out his plan of redemption and restoration. Jesus' death alone is evidence of this. The enemy thought that, that by killing Jesus, he could defeat God, and yet it was Jesus' very death that destroyed the enemy's power. And this leads me to my, my next point. You and I, we can live productive in the midst of a broken and evil world because the enemy has already been defeated. Past tense. Listen again to Daniel's response to this vision. And this is Daniel 8, verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and I did not understand it. Daniel was shaken and disturbed by what he saw, but he got up and he went about the king's business. Daniel got up and he went to work. Daniel looked into the face of evil, and his response was to be faithful right where God placed him. The darkness around us can only try to intimidate us. It will never be able to keep us down. Jesus conquered death and is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father in victory. You and I, can live purposeful in the face of evil. Daniel was distraught, but he got up and he did his job. I heard a, a pastor or a story this week about a pastor who was asked a question. He was asked, um, hey, what, what would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? He got out his phone, he looked at his calendar, and he says, well, I have a wedding tonight, and I, my kids have a birthday party tomorrow. I suppose I will do that. A beautiful picture. God is not asking us to walk on water. He's asking us to be faithful with what he's placed in our hands. Daniel got up and he was faithful with what was right in front of him. We take the enemy's greatest weapon away when we live in freedom and we are faithful with the things God has placed into our hands. So how do we live faithful in a hostile world? in an evil world. I think the first step is that we need to recognize what evil is and what it isn't. Daniel chapter eight teaches us that evil elevates itself above God. It condemns and criticizes others, has no respect for human life. It suppresses the truth and throws it to the ground. It manipulates and deceives. Evil does everything it can to keep people, the people of God out of his church and away from church. This is exactly what Antiochus did. I'm not going to stand up here this morning and say, this is evil, that's evil, stay away from this, stay away from that. If you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, that means the Holy Spirit is in you. And if, if, if you are seeking Christ, the Holy Spirit will enable you to see and to hear. And I will say this, though. 
Jesus gives us a different picture of how we should live than what Antiochus gave us. If you want to live with real power and real influence in this world, we need to follow Christ's example. Philippians 2 gives us that example. Philippians 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Evil desires more control and more power. Christ shows us what real power is. It is in humility and service. Can you see what real evil is and what it's not? The things in you and around you that are preventing you from having a heart like Jesus or a heart that looks like Philippians chapter two, I would say maybe those things could be evil. The things that are against you, keeping you from opening up the word of God. But here's the good news. There is no evil in the world or in our, even in our heart that will, not day one day, that, that will not bow down one day to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So let's do what Daniel did. Let's get to work. Let's be faithful with where God has placed us. The little things. Let's be faithful to where God has placed us. And that right there is how we take the enemy's power away. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.